electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. We all had that obligation, that obligation to our children and to our grandchildren. The bipartisan infrastructure bill is also the most significant investment since we built the interstate highway system and won the space race decades ago. This is about rebuilding the arteries of our economy. Across the country now, there are 45,000 bridges and 173,000 miles of roads that are in poor condition. Some of the bridges you don't even take a chance of going across. They've shut down. They can't be built back to the same standard because the weather's not going to get a lot better. We just got to keep from getting a heck of a lot worse. We have to build back better and stronger. No one should have to hold their breath as they cross a rundown bridge or a dangerous intersection in their hometown. We're going to put hardworking Americans on the job to bring our infrastructure up to speed. Good union jobs and prevailing wages. Jobs you can raise a family on. My dad would say you have a little breathing room. Jobs that can't be outsourced. Jobs replacing lead water pipes. So families can drink clean water, improving the health of our children and putting plumbers and pipe fitters to work. Jobs laying thousands of miles of transmission lines to build a modern energy grid. Jobs making a high-speed Internet affordable and available everywhere in rural and urban America. Particularly including the 35 percent of rural America that goes without it right now. This pandemic has made clear the need for affordable and available high-speed Internet. The idea of a parent having to put their kids in the car for virtual learning, drive and sit in the McDonald's parking lot so the child can access the Internet when school is taught virtually is not only unnecessary, it's just wrong. It's wrong. As I said before, these plans are fiscally responsible. They are fully paid for. They don't add a single penny to the deficit. They don't raise taxes on anyone making less than $400,000 a year. In fact, they reduce the deficit. Here's how. I don't want to punish anyone's success. I'm a capitalist. I want everyone to be able to, if they want to be a millionaire or billionaire, to be able to seek their goal. But all I'm asking is pay your fair share. Pay your fair share. Pay your fair share. And right now, many of them are paying virtually nothing. Last year, the 55 most profitable corporations in America, 55 of them, paid zero, zero in federal income tax on about $40 billion in profit. If they report big profits to their shareholders, they should be paying taxes. It's that simple. That's why the Build Back Better framework will have a 15 percent minimum 
on the largest corporations, a minimum tax of 15 percent. The top 1 percent of the wealthiest Americans evade, it's estimated by the experts, $160 billion a year in federal taxes. That's wrong. We're going to change that. I want to emphasize what I said from the beginning. Under my plans, if you earn less than $400,000, you won't pay a single penny more in federal taxes, period. In fact, these bills continue cutting taxes for middle class, for child care, for health care, so much more. Let me close with this. For much too long, working people of this nation and the middle class of this country have been dealt out of the American deal. It's time to deal them back in. I ran for president saying it was time to reduce the burden on the middle class, to rebuild the backbone of this nation, working people and the middle class. I couldn't have been any clearer from the very moment I announced my candidacy. That's why I wrote these bills in the first place and took them to the people. I campaigned on them. And the American people spoke. This agenda, the agenda that's in these bills, is what 81 million Americans voted for. More people voted than any time in American history. That's what they voted for. Their voices deserve to be heard, not denied, or worse, ignored. Because here's what I know. If we make these investments, there will be no stopping the American people or America. We will own the future. I've long said it's never been a good bet to bet against the American people. I've said that to foreign leaders as well as everyone here in this country, which means it's always a good bet to bet on the American people. Just give them half a chance. And that's what we're doing. That's what these plans do. They're about betting on America, about believing in America, about believing in the capacity of the American people. If you look at the history of the journey of this nation, what becomes crystal clear is this. I'll say it again. Given half a chance... The American people have never, ever, ever, ever let the country down. So let's get this done. God bless you all, and may God protect your troops, and I'll see you in Italy and in Scotland. Thank you. President, 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 are you relying on you have a All right, that was the president announcing a framework agreement for his social spending program in all 1.75 trillion dollars, about half the size of the original proposal. That underscores just how difficult it has been to get to this point for the Democrats. Disagreement within the party on what would be in that plan and more importantly, how it would all be paid for. Our Kayla Tausche covering that part of the story for us. Elon Moy also with us on what happens next up on the Hill and whether more progressive Democrats are going to support it. Kayla, we begin with you first. Well, Scott, President Biden there is taking his pitch directly to the American people, walking out onto a messaging tightrope to argue that this package is exactly what voters voted for last November and that it upholds two critical campaign promises not to raise taxes on individuals making less than $400,000 and to compromise with lawmakers in order to get some of these priorities done. President Biden noting that no one got everything they wanted, including me. Of course, many of those key principles were left on the cutting room floor throughout this negotiating process. And what's unspoken 
is that the negotiation was needed within the Democratic Party, not across the aisle for this social and climate spending package, just based on the wide variety of views and the division between the Democratic Party at this moment. That is the governing reality for Democrats, even as they hold both chambers of Congress and the presidency. This morning, President Biden told House Democrats that their ability to get these packages across the finish line will determine whether they stay in power on Capitol Hill next year. And he told them that if they are able to get these packages across the finish line, that he believes that the legacy could be greater than LBJ and FDR combined. Scott. All right. Kayla Telshi, thank you very much. That's Kayla on the Hill. Now to Elon Moy on what happens next. Elon, is it a done deal up on the Hill or do we still have to, some negotiations a- to take care of? Yeah, not at all a done deal, Scott. It's unclear if this framework is going to be enough to move the ball for progressives who want assurances that this broader package can pass before they vote for an infrastructure bill. Progressives in the House are meeting right now in order to discuss this. But the head of that caucus has called this a loose framework and said that the president is taking a leap of faith in believing that two moderate senators, uh, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, will support this at the end of the day. Now, Sinema did put out a statement saying that she feels like this is significant progress and she looks forward to getting this done. But she didn't say that she would vote for it and neither did Senator Joe Manchin. He just said that he's been working in good faith and that this is now in the hands of the House. So we will see if House Speaker Nancy Pelosi does call for that infrastructure vote today, if she sort of holds progressives feet to the fire and see if they can get that deal done for the president. But right now, progressives are holding the line and saying uh, that they do not believe that this is strong enough for them to vote for the infrastructure bill, imperiling the passage of that package. I wanted to ask you about SALT as well, because it's not in the framework. However, there's a lot of conversation about it this morning behind the scenes. The chair of Ways and Means, Congressman Neal, says it's going to be in the final bill. Is that what you know? Yeah, so the latest that we've been hearing is that what they would do is repeal the cap on state and local tax deductions for two years, but then potentially add it back after it expires in 2025 in order to pay for it. That two-year repeal would cost somewhere in the neighborhood of $180 billion. And of course, you heard the president say he doesn't want this package to add to the deficit at all. So there is a confidence within the Democratic caucus that this will be addressed in the final package. Uh, but exactly how it gets done, is still pretty fluid. All right, Elon Moy, thanks very much to you down in Washington for us today. Stocks, as you know, there's the picture. They're higher, perhaps in part in reaction to that deal. Big day as well for Apple and Amazon. They report their earnings after the bell. The investment committee here with me to break all of that down. Joining me for the hour today, Liz Young, Steve Weiss, Josh Brown, and John Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Liz, I'll go to you first. Um, the market reaction, both from stocks and bonds, we're not having uh, you know, bond yields or the 10-year rise uh, by any great magnitude, certainly on this news. And I'm wondering if it's because this package from the president is not as big as feared, it is half of what the original cost was, and the tax hikes are not uh, as, as bad as feared, if you want to say it that way. What do you think? I think half of that is true. So if you look at the size of the package, I think it's more about the fact that the package is expected to be paid for. So this isn't going to be deficit spending. This isn't going to further fuel inflation or require us to print more money. And that's a positive for the market. The big positive is that those corporate tax increases that we all feared seem to have 
completely disappeared from this bill. There's going to be a little bit of a tweak here and there on corporate taxes, but not nearly the level that we thought would happen. As we saw, not a done deal yet. Some of them still could come back on the table, but I do think markets are reacting to that today. I also think markets are reacting to the fact that earnings season has been really good. And look, I came on the program last time and I had gotten more negative. Some of my concerns were growing. I said that there wasn't going to be new highs before the end of the year. That went over like a lead balloon. And the market said, watch this, Liz. So I stand corrected. And there have been some positive developments. This package is one of them. Yeah. So Weiss, I'll get a comment from you on this as well as we look ahead to Apple and Amazon. Are they going to continue to carry things forward the way that Microsoft and Alphabet and some of the other earnings have done as well? You know, that, that really is a, an open question. There have been rumors, of course, that, that Apple is cutting back on production due to supply chain issues. And frankly, some of the companies I spoke to, that is a possibility. However, I think the market will look through. We've heard supply chain enough going, you know, in the past through earnings that we should be somewhat immune to any further uh, dislocation of the market due to it. In terms of Amazon, look, stock's been basically flat and it's had a couple of headwinds, I think more perceived headwinds than actual, which are the supply chain hurts their sales if they can't get the products. They're not getting uh, the same day delivery on some of their routes because, again, the supply chain and you have a new CEO. So I personally think Amazon is going to catch up. We see these stocks, the thank stocks go through periods of this. Google is flat for an extended period of time. But if you were patient, it did quite well. So I think both will do well. I don't know what the knee jerk reaction will be. But as we saw, that doesn't dictate the future. So I'm staying with both. No intention of doing anything with either whether they sell down or whether they move higher. Dr. J, what's the options market telling you? Two things, Scott, about those two big stocks tonight after the bell. Um, Amazon, they are buying like crazy at the 3,500 strike right now, Scott. I was about to text you that one uh, because they are buying, buying, buying. They've taken these calls. They're expensive calls. They're as expensive as most of the stocks, quite frankly, that we talk about, Scott. But when you're talking about a $3,500 stock or nearly that, um, it's not surprising to see a $25 out of the money call because that's what the three $3,500 calls started the day at, $25. They're right now at $47, so they've nearly doubled on the day so far, 11,400 of those changing hands. Then you flip over to uh, Apple, Scott, and we've got huge buying of the 155 calls. Obviously, the stock has just moved through that level. They're buying up to the 160 strike in Apple right now. And interestingly, I have not seen February action this heavy ever uh, in the last several months since they listed these calls, the February calls. Uh, but now they're buying the 170 calls out in February, about almost 30,000 of those, I believe, Scott. So, yeah, a lot of upside speculation um, in Apple and in Amazon, although they're not predicting extraordinary moves, uh, but they're predicting the same sort of moves percentage wise that we've seen as Microsoft moved up from 309 to 330 or thereabout. Um, that same sort of percentage move predicted in both Amazon and Apple right now by this upside call buying. Josh, you know, Liz Young highlighted the, the quick change in tone in the market that we've witnessed, you know, in the last few weeks um, from when she was on and she was negative. And now the market's back where it is. Apple's a good representation of that. It wasn't that long ago. And I'm looking at it on my screen right now. It was sub 140. 
It's only five bucks now away from a new high. That tells you how the overall market has reacted of late. Can it keep going? Well, I, I do think the stock will move on, on uh, whatever the number is. I, I don't profess to have an edge on whether or not this will be a great quarter, an okay quarter, a bad quarter, uh, or what the, what the uh, reaction of the crowd will be. But I would just point out, historically, you have not been rewarded for having an outsized reaction to a, any particular single quarter for this company. Um, so I think this is the type of stock where if you don't own it, you feel like you've been missing out. If they report something that's disappointing um, to short-term people and there's a negative reaction in the stock, that's your opportunity, right? Apple usually has one quarter a year where uh, it's very far off of expectations. And if they were to have a quarter that's not a great quarter, it would make sense for it to be this one because of all of the issues that we come on and talk about every day. Apple's going to feel them as acutely as any other company trying to manufacture products in one country and sell them in 200 other countries. So I think the street is aware of what the challenges this quarter have been, uh, and I don't think it's a make or break. The stock is flying again. Um, it's, it's just been an incredible name uh, all year. And, and uh, you know, take advantage if you're not in this stock if we do get some weakness after the report. Historically, that's been a great trade. You know, I've been speculating a little bit, as I obviously mentioned with, with all of you, that at least part of the reaction positively in the market today, uh, Steve, was because the, the Biden plan, at least from a tax standpoint, isn't as bad as, as some feared. We're talking about Apple, uh, one of the largest buyback companies on planet Earth, if, if not the biggest. There is the provision in here uh, for the 1% surcharge on corporate stock buybacks. Do you think that's going to have any impact whatsoever on companies' willingness to continue to, buying back, uh, to buy back their stock? I, I don't think it'll impact whether or not they do. I think it will impact on how much they buy back. They'll have to account for it. We really don't know how that's going to work uh, in practice. But no, if you're going to buy back and you'll just, you know, you're not going to let that be a cost over and above. It's going to be embedded into what you do. So, look, I think there is some relief in the market that the tax situation isn't, you know, worse than it was. But I'll also tell you that the people I speak to and you and I have had these conversations, nobody really thought that the onerous tax increases were going to take place. That's pretty clear. And we still still don't know if these tax increases will occur. I'm actually surprised Biden came out so optimistic about the plan when we still have, you know, the the moderates or not the moderates. The progr- I mean, you need saying, to, you know, the, 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 big, the wild card, the obviously, the progressives on the yeah. on the on the far left. Right. And who came out this morning and said, this is still a no-go for us. So I, I wouldn't count it yet. I'm surprised the market is. And actually, I don't think they're putting much into it. It's more that we're midway through earnings. Things look good. We had good big tech earnings. I think there's expectation that they will follow through to Apple and Amazon today. So they're getting it from Well, it wasn't lost on me at all, by the way, that the, the president was, was scheduled to speak at 1115. He was at least a half an hour late. And from all indications of following Twitter feeds of various reporters up on Capitol Hill, the negotiating is is still going on. So your point is is well taken. We'll just go with what's what's said to be in the framework. Josh, what about that on the issue of buybacks? Because when you when you talk to people who are bullish, the market optimistic on, on where things can go, 
One of the points that people frequently reference is the power of buybacks. Will, will this in any way influence corporate activity? I don't think so, because it's not a big surcharge. It's not particularly punitive. Uh, and it's still a better deal than uh, dividends. And I know this is controversial. People, you know, cling to these dividends. Uh, but in the end, that's double taxation. And the buyback is not. So if you had a 1% surcharge, so what? Um, but on a, on a dividend income that a corporation is paying out to return excess capital to shareholders, uh, the corporation is being taxed on the earnings. And then they're paying out that dividend. And you, the recipient, are being taxed on, on the additional income. So that will never look better than shrinking the float, increasing the earnings per share uh, bottom line that way. And so I don't think it'll have a, a big impact. Um, on, all the, on, on, on the corporate minimum, 15% globally, I'm okay with that. I could live with that. I think it makes sense. I don't think we should have profitable companies that write down everything to the point where they pay no taxes. I don't, think that's, I don't even think that'll be a contentious point in the negotiations. Um, the billionaire tax is bad policy, but it'll probably happen because it affects 700 people, give or take. And those 700 people, while powerful, uh, probably aren't more powerful than the 300 million uh, Americans who would look at that and say, yeah, all right, that, you know, <laughs> tax them, not me. That's fine. So I actually think a lot of this will end up going through. And I don't think it's going to have uh, a catastrophic effect in the markets anywhere. I think it'll be perfectly fine. Let's, let's spin this toward, towards Amazon one more time, uh, Doc, as, as you mentioned what you're seeing in the options market leading up to it. I ask, I ask you all mm -hmm. this question every time there's an earnings report, and I, I started speculating more about it once the torch was passed uh, from Bezos to Andy Jassy as to whether Amazon would ever split the stock and whether this might be the time he's sort of gotten his feet on the ground as the CEO the last quarter was his first report. Now we, we have this one, whether this could be the time where Amazon would, would split its stock price and what that would mean. Um, certainly could, Scott. Um, again, uh, I've not heard an awful lot of chatter about that at all, um, uh, even among folks that are Amazon bulls like me, um, because quite frankly, it's almost like Berkshire at this point, where when the stock's priced this high, people just, you know, they don't want to get out to have to get back in and have all that slippage in between because of the price of the stock. Um, but to Josh's point, though, about that billionaire's tax, and I agree with what Josh said there, one of the things embedded there, Scott, that would impact a stock like Amazon um, was when they were discussing uh, taxing gains that you had not taken. In other words, a capital gain where you sold and recognized a profit is one thing, something on paper only and taxing that uh, that was part of these discussions for that millionaires or billionaires rather tax. That's something that would definitely be a huge negative for many of these stocks, much more so than this 1% number we're talking about here because of all the embedded uh, gains that are in these stocks, Apple included, uh, that if all of a sudden you said we're going to tax you on those unrealized gains and do so on an annual basis or whatever, that would be incredible. And I think uh, not just punitive, but very negative what, for the market. What would it mean, Steve, for, for shares and, and for shareholders if, in fact, Amazon did split its stock? You know, I, I think it'd be great. I mean, while it has no economic or, or you know, financial uh, benefits to the company or to shareholders, 
We've seen what's happened before with Apple, with Tesla, with others, where they'll come out and split the stock and uh, people say, hey, you know what, it's cheap. You know, look, a thousand dollar invest in either one share or a hundred shares provides the same return. However, that's for whatever reason, not how retail looks at it. Not all retail, but some. So I think I know, but you see the stock you, move up markedly you, based but, on but that. But Josh, you, you, do, you do potentially open up your stock to a, a bigger pool of investors. I understand the math well, behind everything, but you undeniably open up the gates to more potential people to come in. So I... I had always I had always uh, believed that the reason Amazon wasn't splitting its stock was because Bezos had seen himself as an acolyte of Buffett and Munger and their comment about and look at their share price. So the Berkshire comment about the reason not to split the stock is that I mean, this is a little bit insulting, but you're inviting in a lesser class of shareholder, somebody that is making an investment decision based on excitement is not as good as a shareholder who already owns your stock uh, for the fundamentals. So the stock changing hands from the, the, the quote-unquote wiser investor who is not there for the hype, uh, and then going into the hands of somebody that's like, ooh, Berkshire is splitting. Ooh, Apple's splitting. Let me buy some Apple. So I think that, I think that that's a very quaint, uh, old-fashioned notion at this point. We saw what happened with Apple 7-for-1 split. Obviously, we saw what happened with Tesla's split. Um, I think there's nothing wrong with having a share price appear to be more affordable, even though all we're doing is slicing uh, the pizza pie into, into, into more slices. It's the same pizza. Um, but I, I do think in this day and age, everything seems to be about democratization and bringing in people who historically haven't been part of the markets and making things appear to be more palatable for uh, investors with less experience, et cetera, et cetera. So if that's the zeitgeist, why fight it? Um, I'm not a big split guy. It wouldn't cause me to buy or sell a stock. But I could envision a scenario where they announce a split and this thing goes to a pre-split pr- price of 4000 pretty easily. Yeah. Um, you could judge the people that would buy it on a split if you want. I'm, I'm past that. I'm, I'm okay with Let it. Let me get a quick uh, comment on a stock that's hey, moving. Scott, I, I, uh, what? Sorry, I would just say I would trade it in front of it. You know, I, I'll disagree with Johnny Cash on that a little bit. I would definitely trade in front of it because I like making money, and it would definitely go up on that. All right. I was coming, coming to you, Weiss, on Teradyne. That's what I wanted to do, and I want to squeeze it in before I have to take a break. It's up almost 12 percent, yep. um, a stock you've recommended on, on this program. Uh, upgraded today uh, to outperform at Cowan, double upgraded uh, at UBS to buy. They had a sell on it. Um, do you continue to hold it here, or do you take some profits? No, I continue to hold it here. Look, I bought it on October 14th. Fortune, it's up about 25% since then. And the reason I bought it is that semis continue to expand in terms of the total addressable market. And you have to test your applications. You have to test where they are now in terms of the devices. Are they continuing to work? So they are basically, you know, you can't have semis go into anything without having test equipment. They're across all industries, defense, autos, etc. So I think it's still very cheap and goes a lot higher from here. Okay, coming up, we have an exclusive interview with Light Street Capital's Glenn Kacher. He's going to reveal his next big idea right here on the Halftime Report, and he's going to do that in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. 
Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. I'm Seema Modi, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The Justice Department will reportedly pay $88 million to settle a lawsuit over a faulty gun purchase background check. Families of nine people killed by Dylan Roof at a South Carolina church sued over the error, which allowed Roof to buy the gun he used in the 2015 massacre. In Massachusetts, more than 320,000 utility customers are still without power after a nor'easter slammed into New England. While cleanup has begun, some schools are closed today and utility officials say it could take days to fully restore power. Cigarette sales rising slightly last year. It is the first annual increase in two decades. This according to a new federal report. Now, that report did not cite a reason for the rise, but tobacco executives have said the pandemic has given smokers more opportunities to light up. And a new study shows an inexpensive antidepressant may reduce the need for hospitalization among high-risk adults with COVID-19. The research is part of a larger project searching for existing drugs that can also be used to treat COVID patients. On the news tonight, another new treatment for the coronavirus and getting kids vaccinated. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. Scott, back to All you. Right, Seema, thanks so much. Seema Modi. All right, top money managers revealing their best ideas at the virtual Sone San Francisco conference yesterday. One of them touting what he calls the Netflix of wine. Let's get to Leslie Picker with our CNBC exclusive. Hey, Les. Hey, Scott. Yeah, that's right. Glenn Kater, Light Street Capital CIO, is joining us now alongside Nick Devlin at Naked Wines CEO. Thank you both so much for being here. Um, Glenn, let's start with you because you gave a presentation last night, as Scott alluded to, uh, calling Naked Wines the Netflix of wines. What do you mean by that? Why do you like this stock? Yeah, well, Leslie, I'll start at the top. I mean, we all, you only find opportunities like this, you know, once every two, three years where you can multiply your capital many times over, you know, five to 10 years. We think this stock's a, a four bagger in four and a half years and, and much better than a 10 bagger over 10 years. And as a result, we've bought 9.9% of the company. What's really amazing here is that Nick and his team have built an ecosystem of winemakers. That's the person that makes the wine, the sort of, sort of chef of the wine process. And he identifies the best winemakers in the world that want to make wines under their own brand name instead of working for a large winery. And so the company is able to become really an angel investor in those entrepreneurial wine efforts. 
and then sell them exclusively to the members of the naked wine community that pay $40 a month and spend roughly $500 a year on wine. And so that's, it's just an incredible business opportunity. It's incredible value for the consumer. It's an incredible value for the winemaker themselves to get into business without taking a lot of risk and make a wine under their name. And it's really similar to the evolution that we saw with Netflix, where Netflix went from originally, they sold other people's wines. Nick and his team, they've been doing this for 13 years with independent winemakers. So they've, they've got a huge head start building a real uh, real moats around this business. And uh, we're just incredibly excited about where this business is going over the next 10 years. Nick, what's the total addressable market here? Um, when you think about this, this type of product, it sounds like it's perfect for people who are quote unquote wine snobs. Uh, how much of those are out there that you think uh, you could deliver on some of the, the prospects that Glenn was talking about, this being, uh, you know, a Forex Multi, uh, uh, quadrupling over the next few years or so, you, you really have to grow into that type of valuation uh, and get a lot more customers. Well, the reality is we've got a business model that's perfect for the everyday wine-loving American. Um, so we operate in the U.S., the U.K., and Australia. Across that, we see an addressable market around 25 to 30 billion U.S. dollars. Um, the U.S. is the biggest part of that. It's around 20 billion addressable market. And that's, you know, everyday Americans who like to drink wine, you know, spending 10 bucks and up on a bottle. Um, and that's before you think, you know, longer term, I think there's an opportunity for this business as well and the model to stretch into other adjacent categories, things like spirits. So uh, the way we see it, we've got about a 1% share of that addressable market today and a hell of a lot of headroom to go after. Uh, Glenn, I want to ask you about another position of yours as well. Uh, Coinbase, a lot going on in the crypto space right now. Bitcoin futures ETF, uh, the potential NFT marketplace idea. But when you look at what's going on in terms of crypto trading volumes, it's a little less of an optimistic picture there. How are you looking at this space uh, and what do you make of Coinbase right now? Sure. Uh, well, we think it's an incredible franchise. It's the leading consumer and institutional crypto uh, brokerage firm. For instance, Facebook just chose them to power the uh, backbone of, of Facebook's future efforts in, in crypto. And, you know, we look at really, you know, I was around in the beginning of uh, the Internet and, you know, in the, in the early 90s. And uh, online training came about then, and that was that was an incredible growth opportunity and, and for stocks, right? And now we're doing the same thing with crypto. And if you compare uh, Coinbase to, for instance, Schwab, you know, uh, Coinbase trades at, at roughly uh, 18 times EBITDA. Schwab trades at roughly 16 times today. Schwab grows 10 to 15 percent. Coinbase has been growing well over 100% a year, closer to 1,000% a year for many years. And I think you, you've hit on the question is, what does it look like going forward? And we look at the adoption of crypto and the speed that it's getting adopted by uh, both consumers as well as, as institutions and, and large money managers. And, and we see an incredible growth opportunity in front of us. Will there be some ups and downs with with some, let's call them less well-backed coins like a Dogecoin um, or a Shiba coin, you're going to see those kind of bumps in the in the road. But at the same time, the growth of core Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then all of these up-and-coming DeFi coins, Coinbase is the place to make your investments in these coins. 
and we just see massive network effects coming uh, into the business. Hey, Glenn, huh. it's, it's, it's Scott Wapner. Uh, welcome to our program. It's nice to see you again. Um, with all due respect on Coinbase, I still can't get over this move we're seeing in Naked Wines in real time. It's up nearly 27 percent um, on this mention. I've, I've always thought of you as a pretty astute technology investor. Just given where we are on NASDAQ and where rates may be heading, how do you see tech investing, uh, NASDAQ stocks in general at this particular time? Yeah, we look, I, I look at the, the next year and, and we've been coming through a sort of period of tough comps in the e-commerce sector, for instance, um, because we're, we're anniversarying uh, COVID. And so we've, we're one to two quarters away from that being over. And, and you know, whenever a, you know, a, uh, a headwind or a tailwind is, is going to come to, a, to, to a, uh, a, a point where it switches directions, um, you're, you know, the investor is going to start anticipating that. So I think that the headwind on, on comps for e-commerce companies is about to switch and, and, and it's within, you know, most investors investment horizon. And so we're really optimistic about the about the Internet side of the business. I think there's no question uh, software has, has benefited uh, from uh, growth, but it's still early in the long term point of view in software. Only about 14 percent of software applications are operating in the cloud today. Most of the, the, the software out there is still legacy. And so that's got to get replaced over the next 10 to 15 years. And so we're, we're just incredibly long-term bullish about the technology markets. I may be, let me ask you one more if I could. Uh, forgive me, Leslie. I, and I may be confusing you with somebody else, to be honest with you. But I, I, I think I remember you in, investing in some Chinese technology names uh, internet names, uh, you know, around the way over, over the last few years. Do you do you sure. see that market as investable at, at, at the current time, just given everything that's been going on over there? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. We we have been uh, on the sidelines for a lot of the past uh, year or two, and I think now is probably the time to be um, entering and 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 thinking about who the winners are going forward. And so, for instance, we're. Um, excited and own shares in companies like Lee Auto, which is not an internet company, but we think is a, tech, a real technology company. Xiaopeng, the uh, another Chinese automaker, but we like companies like Meituan and um, and other e-commerce companies. JD. So there, I think there's we're, we're open-minded to uh, to that opportunity going forward, for sure. Uh, Glenn, I wanted to ask you about the short side of your book. Has your strategy changed at all? It was reported that during the whole GameStop meme stock frenzy uh, that you had some positions that were driven up uh, by some of that. Have you paired Jimmy back Lee. that position or that the, the short side of your book? Uh, no, I wouldn't say we've changed. I mean, we're still out there looking for fundamental shorts every single day. And, and we've done incredibly well this year, actually, from February um, until now on the short side. The short side of the book is, is creating uh, positive returns for us. And so, you know, we continue to, to uh, operate that side of our business. We find companies that we think are overdone. This is an interesting market where uh, companies that, that don't deserve it. Are, are, some of them are rallying, and so we're able to short those companies. All right. Glenn Kater, Light Street Capital CIO, and Nick Devlin as well, the Naked Wine CEO. Thank you both so much for being here today. Scott, I'll send you back over to you.
We appreciate it. Yeah, uh, we appreciate it as well. Leslie, thank you. Uh, this move is unbelievable. Um, and you're f- more than 40 percent move um, in Naked Wines on the mention by Glenn Kacher. That's it's his new play at the this virtual Sone conference in San Francisco. Uh, we'll obviously keep our eye on uh, what is a pretty stunning move uh, in the intraday. Shares of Ford, meantime, surging to seven-year highs after its own blowout earnings and guidance. We'll give you that trade next. A group of 300 airlines throughout the world have committed to net zero carbon emissions by 2050. In 2019, the airline industry was responsible for about 2.8% of global CO2 emissions, according to the International Energy Agency. The International Air Transport Association estimates that the total cost will reach around $2 trillion. The lobby expects sustainable aviation fuel will account for 65% of emission reduction, meaning about 455 billion liters of sustainable aviation fuel will need to be produced each year. And that's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. want to show you something that is not a misprint. Naked Wines, mentioned by Glenn Kacher just moments ago, is now up 113%. The low on the stock today was $9. The high was $25. So it's even a little bit off of its highest levels. It comes after Glenn Kacher mentioned that stock as one of his new favorite plays at the virtual Irisone conference out in San Francisco. That is a stunning move intraday for a stock that most people probably hadn't heard of before Glenn Kacher even mentioned it. Let's talk about one that people have heard of. That is Ford. It is higher today on its earnings and its uh, guidance beat. A stunning quarter from Ford is how Jim Cramer characterized it earlier. Dr. J, you have calls. Yep, got calls. Loved what I heard on the call um, from the company, Scott, um, saying, you know, that uh, fleet sales, wholesale sales um, are going to be up again next year by double digits. I don't think there was a single thing in this report that was negative, Scott. So, yeah, a lot of firms raising targets from 17 to 19 and so forth. Some even into the 20s. Love that. And I, I like I said, I believe that these guys really are hitting it with the Mach-E, with the obviously anticipation of the Lightning. Uh, that's their F-150 uh, electrified vehicle and so forth. I think they're doing almost everything right here. Um, it'd be a great time for people to uh, uh, lighten up a little, perhaps, because of the move being as big as it is, Scott. But other than that, I'm a believer. That's what people are doing in Naked right now, because now it's only up 65 percent. So some fast money underscored. <laughs> yeah, they cut it in half. You're making it fast and you're taking it fast. All right. We have more trades next. That's John's right. back with unusual activity. We're back on the half right after this. All right, Doc, you're back. Unusual activity. Tell us. 
Yes, sir. Um, uh, this one's a little longer time frame, Scott, January, XBI. Uh, so we're seeing big upside buying at the January 134 call strike with the stock at 124, so it's 8% higher. Could make that move like that. Second one, Scott, take a look at what's going on right now in Fisker, FSR, weekly. So I understand that's only one more day. Tomorrow they expire, but they're buying the 16 calls with the stock at 1530 today. Like that one, too, but I was already in Fisker. I did add to it for a one-day trade. We appreciate that, Doc. Thank you. Now to a story about a charitable initiative from one of our CNBC contributors. Women among the most affected by job loss in the pandemic, and mothers have been particularly hit hard. CBC senior personal finance correspondent Sharon Epperson joins us now with more on a free financial counseling program to help moms rebuild what they've lost. It was created by social media influencer Haley Sachs and our very own Josh Brown. Hi, Cher. Hey, Scott. Well, you know, the U.S. economy has experienced a net loss of nearly 5 million jobs since February 2020, and women account for 57.5 percent of those losses. The financial impact has been devastating for many single moms struggling to get their finances back on track, like Paige Montgomery and Sabrina Smith. I had no savings. I was living literally paycheck to paycheck. I luckily had a little bit of savings, but then from there, I had to find other ways in order to pay my bills. Smith and Montgomery were selected for a special program to help moms hit hard during the pandemic. Over three months, 10 moms had a series of lessons on retirement savings, life insurance, and investment strategies in virtual group sessions. You're getting 100% return on your money just by the match that you're putting in. And one-on-one financial counseling with certified financial planners, women from the team at Ritholtz Wealth Management. During the three-month course, both moms got back to work. Now these moms tell us they're feeling more confident about their finances. Through the program, we decided that I need to establish the emergency fund. The thing I learned the most was probably... 401k. The class came at a perfect time because the majority of my anxiety at that point was with my finances. With financial counseling from Finances Are Cool, Moms Are Cool program, Montgomery and Smith say they've relieved some stress around money and motherhood. Scott? We want to thank these moms, too. Uh, Emily Johnson, Blair Ducanet, and Dina Isola. Uh, Josh Brown, how'd you get involved in this? Um... I, sorry, I, I just uh, I, I just feel like we watch the stock market double, the fastest double uh, of all time, and a lot of people are on the sidelines of that, and they're just saying, okay, I'm glad business is back and stocks are back, but my pandemic is, is, is still going on. And Haley came to me with this idea, and I have the, the in-house talent, the three ladies that you just mentioned, Emily, Dina, and Blair, by the way, they're all moms. So Dina got her two twins into college this past year, and Blair's got two babies at home. And Emily is the mom of a, a is the single mom of a teenage girl. And they took their time to work with these women and and these moms and really give advice to people who have been forgotten about. The financial industry doesn't care about these people, um, but we care and. There's so much of an obsession with scale these days. Everything is about how many users, millions, billions, trillions. This was something that we deliberately kept small. One advisor to three moms. 
And I think because we did it that way, we've been able to have such a huge impact in these women's lives, their children. And it, it honestly chokes me up just thinking about uh, what, what these ladies within my firm were able to do for these people. And I want to do it again. I, I just I, I love seeing the outcome so much. Again, big shout. Emily Josh, Johnson. they want you to do it again. They want you to do it again, Josh. These mothers said, when are, when are we going to get to do it again? And the advisors at your firm have opened their doors and say, we're going to continue to talk to you on our own, we, you know, outside of this program. But I know there are a lot of moms that want this type of advice, and it's a great program and a great opportunity for them to get it. Yeah. Uh, Cheryl, we... Uh, we Dina's out, at, out at lunch right now with the three moms that she counseled through this program. Uh, they're, they're having lunch today. So we're going we're gonna to keep working with people and we're definitely going to do more of this. Yeah, we love what you're doing. Josh, thank you for that. Sharon, thanks for the story again. Big shout. Emily Johnson, Blair Ducanet, and Dina uh, Isola. For more, and go, go to invest in you. Go to cnbc.com forward slash invest in you. And one last thing we should note, uh, as we always do, that NBC Universal and Comcast Ventures are investors in Acorns. We'll step away quickly. We'll come back and we'll do final trades next. All right, Doc, you're back. Unusual activity. Tell us. Yes, sir. Um, uh, this one's a little longer time frame, Scott. January XBI. Uh, so we're seeing big upside buying at the January 134 call strike with the stock at 124. So it's 8% higher. Could make that move like that. Second one, Scott, take a look at what's going on right now in Fisker FSR weekly. So I understand that's only one more day. Tomorrow they expire, but they're buying the 16 calls with the stock at 1530 today. Like that one too, but I was already in Fisker. I did add to it for a one day trade. We appreciate that, Doc. Thank you. Now to a story about a charitable initiative from one of our CNBC contributors, women among the most affected by job loss in the pandemic and mothers have been particularly hit hard. CNBC senior personal finance correspondent Sharon Epperson joins us now with more on a free financial counseling program to help moms rebuild what they've lost. It was created by social media influencer Haley Sachs and our very own Josh Brown. Hi, Cher. Hey, Scott. Well, you know, the U.S. economy has experienced a net loss of nearly 5 million jobs since February 2020, and women account for 57.5 percent of those losses. The financial impact has been devastating for many single moms struggling to get their finances back on track, like Paige Montgomery and Sabrina Smith. I had no savings. I was living literally paycheck to paycheck. I luckily had a little bit of savings, but then from there, I had to find other ways in order to pay my bills. Smith and Montgomery were selected for a special program to help moms hit hard during the pandemic. Over three months, 10 moms had a series of lessons on retirement savings, life insurance, and investment strategies in virtual group sessions. You're getting 100% return on your money just by the match that you're putting in. And one-on-one financial counseling with certified financial planners, women from the team at Ritholtz Wealth Management. During the three-month course, both moms got back to work. Now these moms tell us they're feeling more confident about their finances. Through the program, we decided that I needed to establish the emergency fund. The thing I learned the most was probably... 401k. The class came at a perfect time because the majority of my anxiety at that point was with my finances. 
With financial counseling from Finances Are Cool, Moms Are Cool program, Montgomery and Smith say they've relieved some stress around money and motherhood. Scott? We want to thank these moms, too. Uh, Emily Johnson, Blair Ducanet, and Dina Isola. Uh, Josh Brown, how'd you get involved in this? Um, I, sorry, I, I just uh, I, I just feel like we watch the stock market double, the fastest double uh, of all time, and a lot of people are on the sidelines of that, and they're just saying, okay, I'm glad business is back and stocks are back, but my pandemic is, is, is still going on. And Haley came to me with this idea, and I have the, the in-house talent, the three ladies that you just mentioned, Emily, Dina, and Blair. By the way, they're all moms. So Dina got her two twins into college this past year, and Blair's got two babies at home, and Emily is the, mom of a, a, is the single mom of a teenage girl, and they took their time to work with these women and, and these moms and really give advice to people who have been forgotten about. The financial industry doesn't care about these people, um, but we care. And there's so much of an obsession with scale these days. Everything is about how many users, millions, billions, trillions. This was something that we deliberately kept small. One advisor to three moms. And I think because we did it that way, we've been able to have such a huge impact in these women's lives, their children. And it, it honestly chokes me up just thinking about uh, what, what these ladies within my firm were able to do for these people. And I want to do it again. I, I just I, I love seeing the outcome so much. Again, big shout. Emily Josh, Johnson. they want you to do it again. They want you to do it again, Josh. These mothers said, when are, when are we going to get to do it again? And the advisors at your firm have opened their doors and say, we're going to continue to talk to you on our own, we, you know, outside of this program. But I know there are a lot of moms that want this type of advice and it's a great program and a great opportunity for them to get it. Yeah. Uh, Cheryl, we, uh, we... Dina, Dina's out at Dina's out at lunch right now with the three moms that she counseled through this program. Uh, they're, they're having lunch today. So we're going to we're going to keep working with people and we're definitely going to do more of this. Yeah, we love what you're doing. Josh, thank you for that. Sharon, thanks for the story again. Big shout. Emily Johnson, Blair Ducanet and Dina uh, Isola. For more and go go to invest in you. Go to CNBC uh, dot com forward slash invest in you. And one last thing we should note, uh, as we always do, that NBC Universal and Comcast Ventures are investors in Acorns. We'll step away quickly. We'll come back and we'll do final trades next. Let's do final trades. Liz Young, you're up first, and maybe with a new word you've coined, I hear. <laughs> well, my real final trade is healthcare, but more importantly, coining a new word on halftime report to combine the two most overused words of transitory and stagflation, and that is stagflationary. You heard it here first okay. on halftime. All right. CBC fast, you can't have it. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that. All right, Steve Weiss. Yeah, Volkswagen, as I said yesterday in my final trade, they'd probably disappoint in the quarter. They did, and it would be the time to buy it now. Put it in perspective, Ford at nine times earnings will be $19 a share. VW at nine times earnings next year will be up 50%. Okay. It's clear what you want to okay. own. Okay, Dr. J, a name, please, since Weiss took all the time. Merck, uh, new high of the year, Scott, okay. and they're buying December's even Josh higher. Brown. Amazon. There you go. Thanks, Weiss. The exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. 
can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.